Welcome to the first episode of the Lift Big Eat Big Show. We don't actually have a fancy name for it yet, but we're going to go with LBEB Show. Number one, we're live. If you're listening to this on podcast or YouTube later, obviously it's not live, but it was live. So make sure you join next week when it's live. But today we have myself, James DeLacy, and we have two incredible athletes with us. My athletic prowess does not live up to these two. We have Mona Pretorius or Mona DeLacy, my wife, six times uh, Karate World Champ, CrossFit Games athlete, Commonwealth Games medalist and weightlifting, African champion, plus much more. We have Colm Wolf joining us as well from the strongman side, representing the big guys. Uh, two times world's strongest man competitor, New Zealand's strongest man. All sorts of experience going on in this podcast. But we've got a few things for you guys today. We're going to cover some news around the powerlifting world records. We're going to cover some of the weightlifting scandals, some of the stuff Colm has from the strongman world as well. But we're going to start with some fitness style or training style, I guess you could say knowledge. And we want to go into a little bit into the debate in areas around short and long muscle length training. There's been back and forth all over social media around short muscle length, long muscle length training and its effects for maximizing muscle growth or hypertrophy. I know, Colm, I think you went through some of the studies that I sent you there as well. Any any first thoughts on that as we dive into it? Um, overall, I think it's like a promising, we definitely need more research, but I think it's given us some good good information to make some recommendations uh, based off of what's there under certain conditions. So not for everyone, but under certain conditions for sure. I think there's some good research there. Yeah, yeah. And obviously when we're looking at a lot of the short and long muscle length training, we need to... I guess, decipher between the different studies and what they're showing. So there's some that actually, so when we talk about short long muscle length, let's maybe define some of the stuff. When we're talking extreme long muscle lengths, the studies that show the big, big gains are through biarticular muscles. So we're talking muscles that cross the knee, but also, well, for example, the hamstrings that cross the knee and the hip, or if we're talking about biceps, they cross the elbow and the shoulder, same with the triceps, crosses the um, elbow and the shoulders. So it means when you're gonna go stretch or train a muscle through a full range of motion, in that instance, you're getting an extreme stretch when you uh, say, for example, with the triceps, you're going to flex the elbow and you're going to extend or flex the shoulder. In that case, you get a far longer stretch than the other tricep heads, which only flex the elbow. Oh, sorry, only extend the elbow. So that extreme stretch is what potentially or what seems to promote that larger, I guess, more gains in hypertrophy. The mechanisms behind it, aren't well known a lot of them talk about you know maybe enhanced metabolic stress or the buildup of of waste products essentially like that feeling like when you're getting a pump um but then the other other research is also interesting as well because there's a bunch of stuff on for example training biceps and they looked at bottom range partials versus top range partials and while that's on the preacher curl and while that's not cons considered i guess a long muscle length it's basically training a muscle at a longer length versus a shorter length showing that the longer length is superior. Now, obviously not every muscle and not everything has to be a long muscle length trained. Like for example, that big knee jerk reaction is to now go to everything long muscle length. I think the big knee jerk reaction was, yeah. I think what Brett Contreras was talking about. Hey, people are talking about how now the hip thrust sucks because it doesn't have long muscle length uh, within it. And so it's not good for glute uh, hypertrophy, which is completely false as we know. I know Mona, you love a bit of the hip thrust too. Um, and, and myself, I've used it a fair, uh, fair amount of times too, and it's a great glute builder. So not everything 
has to then become this long muscle length kind of thing within your program. You need to still have exercises that create that large amount of tension as well. Are there any exercises in particular, uh, Colm or Mona, that, that you like to use in this instance? Who wants to go first? <laughs> go first, that's fine. Colm, you're in. Well, I, so for, um, like, I'm a big fan of seated hamstring curl and then also oh, yeah. the overhead tricep extension. Like, both yep. of those have been used in some of the research. Um, and I do, I think what the, like, most of the studies, right, they've got, they're comparing the long muscle length exercise with a shorter one. Um, sometimes they have a crossover group. And those are more the studies that I like when they have. So long muscle length, short muscle length, and then they'll sometimes have a group that does a little bit of both. Mm. Um, like there's one that's on squats. And I think the, uh, one of the hamstring ones that you sent me had, had mm. like a combined group as well. And I think like, to me, that's a little bit more applicable. Yeah. But I do like the idea that to, it, it seems pretty clear that if you're only going to do one or the other, so if you're like, let's say you've got 20 minutes or something, you're a very busy person, you don't have much time to train, and you've only got 20 minutes, you're better off choosing that longer muscle length exercise. So mm -hmm. for again, like overhead tricep extension, fantastic one, um, seated hamstring curl, opposed to a shorter length one. Um, but I do think like if you've got longer, a longer time period, you shouldn't just like James is alluding to, you don't just suddenly want everything to be long muscle length. Um, mm. Because there are like, uh, what's the words, like specificity to the range of motion of the activity yeah. that you're wanting to do. For example, if you wanted to jump higher, um, a great option, like to start off with full squats for sure, but you could do some jump squats. That's likely, once you've been training for a while, that's likely to improve your jump more than, you know, just exclusively full squats. So I don't, just like James was saying, don't, uh, what was the term he used? Don't go full, like it doesn't all don't have go to full be retard. range of motion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of specific exercises, I quite like seated hammy curl. Like I, I really love seated hammy curl. Yeah. Um, I quite like that it's, um, it's easy to do as well, like to overload the eccentric if you go yeah. um, two legs down and then you can just do a single leg on the way up. So that way you're getting that full, um, like it's a long range of motion, uh, long muscle length exercise. You're getting to load it eccentrically as well, which will help um, or should hopefully help prevent injuries in terms of sprinting and whatnot. Um, and then I personally am a little bit biased with the overhead tricep one because I've had a tricep rupture. Mm -hmm. And when I look at back at my training, um, so being a big guy, I was a lot bigger then as well. I wasn't doing a lot of flexibility work, but I like the idea of having these longer, um, longer length, like exercises in there kind of forces you to do a little bit of stretch. So mm -hmm. overhead wise, I wasn't doing any of that. So doing the overhead position, it's going to make the tricep cross two joints have a bit more of a stretch, you know, opposed to just doing a rope pull down, we like this and then pulling yeah. down. Um, and I feel like if I had just had some of those in, my training like so this is anecdotal um but i do yeah. I, I do feel like that has a benefit mm -hmm. um to maintain yeah. a certain level of flexibility even if it's just a little bit um if we're talking about heavyweight strongmen who are just naturally very tight 
um, I think it's worth having them there. Yeah, keep keep up with the anecdotal stuff too, because people love to hear your experiences with certain things too. But I know, I know, Mona, you actually do use a lot of it at the end of your training too. For example, we would do those lat stretches on the lat pull down or dumbbell pullovers and things. What any uh, thoughts? Anything to add there with with adding those at the end of your training? Um, I'm definitely a fan of it, and very similar to what Cole mentioned now with regarding like the stretch. I mean, you two are more. Um, the expertise in these kind of fields and I would often just kind of follow what James will prescribe for me with those kind of things in training because obviously with me my expertise fall more into like the Olympic lifting side where the squats for example and things like that but um, yeah I'm a big fan of it just because if I do any bodybuilding type exercises the last thing I do want is to be stiff or immobile when I go back to my weightlifting so I really do enjoy um adding those in so that if I do do something like that in the off season and I do decide, okay, I'm going to go back to my Olympic lifting because I'm not a naturally flexible athlete um, or mobile. I do tend to find that if I neglect it, um, that's probably one of the things that, um, yeah, does bite me in the butt Mm. first. Like I have to work on my mobility again because then I get things like my wrist pain and shoulder pain and things like that back really quickly. Um, so yeah, if you ever like, you know, like Colm was saying, you know, with regard to like your timing of training and you don't have a lot of time, um, you know, I think stuff like that is just really important to take note that if you do do different sports or do different training methods, um, you know, just take into consideration how it can affect you long term. Yeah, for sure. And there's, I, I think people need to also realize that strength training through these full ranges of motion is more effective than stretching for mobility and flexibility. When we actually doing static stretching, we don't get any structural change within the muscle. When we're actually doing this kind of stretching stuff, we get structural change. So we get permanent change in range of motion versus flexibility when you don't. Um, and that's an important thing to have, especially if you're, if anyone's a sport and competes in something in some kind of sport, that's important to have, obviously. And then there are some more applications with long muscle length training as well. Like, as you mentioned, the seated leg curl, comb, leaning forward on the seated leg curl is boss. That is like yeah. the absolute killer when you get to the top. That's another way to make it more extreme. But there's more things you can do too. You can use end range uh, as partials at the end of a set as an intensity technique. So, for example, if you're doing like, uh, it could be anything, like bicep curls. If you're doing curls, you do maybe a set of 10 close to failure, and then you do like another 6 to 10 of just bottom range partials. Um, that's another way of doing it and essentially you're adding an intensity technique and that can be something you cycle into your training too. Yeah, that, that was definitely interesting in terms of that study uh, where they were doing like the preacher curl. So mm. for anyone listening, the bottom, just doing the bottom half uh, was more effective than just doing the top half. Um, so just oh, we like don't know how that compares to, to doing the full movement because <laughs> they, yeah. they didn't cover that. <laughs> But like if you've got if you want to throw in an intensity technique at the end um and you like you like that style of training it seems like a good option from the info that we have there yeah for sure and i mean there's just there's i mean most people use a lot of these low muscle length things that i probably even think about romanian deadlifts is another one for the hamstrings um all these things you're probably using but just remember it's it's more than just something you're going to use for maximizing muscle growth again it's going to be something that's going to maintain or improve your mobility flexibility things like that and obviously so, oh sorry oh, yeah jump in i was i was going to add if like 
for example, you're a weightlifter, um, you know, things like pulls from platform um, or like Romanian deadlifts from platform, although the, those are kind of things that will help weightlifters. Now I'm asking this question to you being more the expert in it. Um, yeah, or both you and Cole. What do you think? Yeah, well, you, you use it for technical aspects, right? Yes. That, that helps um, create the pull longest and it teaches you to stay over the bar longer. So when you go back to lifting from the floor, you're going to hopefully carry that feeling over, correct? Yes. Yeah. So 100%. <laughs> 100%. Well, I mean, like to build it as well, you know? Not yeah, for to... sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Colm's used a shit ton of deficit deadlifts in his life. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, it, like... I do think there's a benefit of having those in, like you guys are talking about, just for the mobility sake, especially for strongman as well. Like if you're doing deficits, it's going to help with your starting position for the stones. Um, but otherwise, again, time-wise, just do stones. You're going to be like your hammy has to be in such a big lengthened position anyway as you're pulling it off the floor, um, depending on what technique you're using. But you, you need to be able to do that well, um, especially if you're like different styles in competition. Let's say you've got fast stone run um if you're mobile enough to hit that position you can do a one motion very quickly a one motion stone lift which is going to mm. give you a faster time so it's worth um i do think like overall not just looking at that um specific long length but it's good to maintain like a certain level of touching many different movements so you're somewhat mm. ready for any uh ready for anything really in strong man anyway yeah that, that's good advice too but I think we'll, we'll end that little segment there and we'll go straight on to some of the upcoming news or the, some of the previous news as well. Colm, we are powerlifting world records. Was it last? Was it a weekend just gone that this happened? Yeah. I saw videos of it all over Twitter and stuff. Do you want to maybe dive into what happened there? Yep. So we had, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing his, his name correctly, <laughs> Jesus Oliveira, was it? Yep. Yep. Um, some absolutely ridiculous lifting. So uh 470 272 and 410 um in the ipf so what i like there's obviously the ipf is drug tested so that's the first thing a lot of people bring up but even regardless of that he's broken the all-time record and he's on sleeves um like personally what i find it's impressive regardless right no matter what kind of bar <laughs> But the IPF, they use the same barbell on all three lifts. And oh, okay. um, for such a big guy, so yeah, they use the same barbell and they, they always use those uh, combo racks, which I, like as a big guy, I hate it because they, they're just hard to fit in, to be honest. Like the bench <laughs> is always the same width, which I personally feel is a little bit too narrow for the big guys. Um, while he's not as tall as me, he's still... Uh, he weighed in three, 390, I believe. So what's that in oh. kgs? Uh, That's like, it's like 170? 170, 180 kilos? One, 177, according to this. There you go. Um, so yeah, he's a big dude. And to hit that, to hit those numbers um, in that way as well, like has, have you guys seen, uh, like the squat, he definitely fought for the squat. But like the deadlift was just ridiculous. Uh, 900 pounds. So on the stiff bar, you got to remember a lot Damn. of the a lot of the world records nowadays. Like I'm not the biggest fan of it, but they're making um, more specific deadlift bars over time. So now there's a Kabuki deadlift bar, which is meant to be 
I think it's a little bit longer perhaps or a little bit more flex than a, a Texas deadlift bar. So like as time goes on, they seem to be allowing a little bit more um, in terms of these other federations, whereas the IPF is always that same bar. Um, and for him to hit 900 pounds after the previous lifts in the manner that he hit it and no grip issues, like it's honestly, it's, it's really insane. Um, whether it's tested or non-tested, like it's insane. And the fact that it is tested is even more insane. Um, and it does make me think, I was thinking the other day, I'll be curious to see what you guys think, but like, I, I really wonder where the ceiling of human potential is. Um, because in, in the grand scheme of it, I feel like powerlifting is still like relatively young in terms of advanced training techniques and whatnot. Mm. And, um, you know, like back, back in the day, like now people follow diets. Now people have structured training, yeah. um, opposed to back in the day, was it Paul Anderson, that dude who used to just squat his mm. barrels, dig a hole yep. and squat his I've barrels. I've got the book in the bookshelf back there. I'll have to pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think like, yeah training and everything is getting more and more advanced and the attitude of some of these top athletes where they i mean some of them uh even say it they're basically willing to die they're willing to do anything to get a good result so it does make me think and he's untested but let's say untested as well like i really do wonder what the limits of strength are going to be i i think they're going to mm. keep getting bigger and bigger is there um, prize money yet uh, like big enough prize money for people to be able to train full time yet within powerlifting, or is it still? So they did have prize money for that one. Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head. I'd have mm. to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was a decent one. So they uh, they're looking to run that one annually, and it should be like a pretty good one going forward. Um, yeah, because I can imagine as prize money prize money goes up, more the more yeah. people that come into this. So I mean. I mean, obviously there's freak athletes there, but I think the, the freakiest of freak athletes are all in the NFL and things like that because that pays yeah. the money, right? So if you I had agree. some of those guys come into a sport like that, yeah, you've got <laughs> yeah. you've got bigger records going. Yeah, that's pretty scary to think about. What about in terms of weightlifting? Would you say, like, let's say the NFL, I would say the majority, like 99% of them are got to be absolute just freak athletes. Hmm. Strongman, oh, there is a lot of freaks, but I wouldn't say... It's not near the NFL kind of level at all at the moment. Same with powerlifting. What about weightlifting? So it's funny that you guys are talking about, or when you were mentioning now, where's the ceiling? So currently at the moment, it's the Youth Weightlifting World Championships. And the, for the first time ever in history of weightlifting, there are 12-year-olds, two Canadian girls that made history, who's the youngest ever girls one won gold and the other one, I think she won bronze. And normally those kind of competitions, the world gets dominated by like the Eastern Bloc countries, um, but also like, from a lot of countries. Who has been, countries. Who has, yes, who has allegedly <laughs> doping and who has been tested positive numerous times. <clears throat> now, these countries that has now podiumed are from countries who are fully clean, natural athletes, um, you know, youth athletes lifting heavier than, you know, a lot of athletes. I, if I'm mistaken, the girl who won gold in the 40 kg class, the youth athlete who's 12, did a total of 177 kilograms. And uh -huh. my thoughts today was when I was reading all of the results was, this is insane for a youth athlete to be totaling that amount yeah. for a girl weighing less than 40 kilograms. 
um, techniques of what's, solid. Oh, sorry. Yeah? What's the age group? 12? So it, it, so the youngest is 12 that can compete in yeah. the youth. And then it's up to, so for youth, it's up to uh, 17. Um, it's either 17 or 18, if I'm not mistaken. Normally, when we've I've competed, it's up to the year that you turn 17. Um, I don't think that rule has changed. And then junior is up until the year you turn 21. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, these kids are lifting an insane yeah. amount of weight. And it just, it amazes me. Like, I'm watching it. And I'm like, it blows my mind. Um, obviously, it's amazing to see, but it also shows you that, like, the human potential for, you know, clean athletes. And yes, obviously, yeah. you do get the athletes who dope. And that's also why, you know, there's going, there's a lot of scandals and stuff going on in weightlifting regarding, you know, um, just a lot of doping going on and weightlifting being at risk for not being at the 2028 Olympics. But like I said, these weights and medals are coming from athletes from clean countries. Um, so that actually does, it gives a clean athlete hope that you can actually also get on the platform. Um, and it just shows you, you know, once a clean athlete has also shown their potential and they can lift that weight, you will get more and more athletes who will then be able to lift that weight. Would you say, so this, uh, where's the 12 year old from? Canada. Would so it's you, two, two Canadian athletes. Like if you had to, would you say her success is, like, is she more of a genetic freak? Have they got like fantastic training program or just combination of all the above? Well, I think honestly it might be genetics because I do know that a lot of Canadian athletes um, aren't actually training with Canadian coaches. A lot of them actually have American coaches and will travel back and forth and I know also from, you know, what I've heard, you know, it's not the easiest uh, federations and stuff to deal with, um, very similar to what I have gone through in my weightlifting career. Um, so a lot of these athletes, yeah, I won't go into detail, but a lot of these athletes not on this episode, struggle. Another yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of the athletes struggle financially. So, for example, there are athletes who have won Olympic medals for Canada, but they're not even like fully, fully funded or, you know, they don't get the support, like, for example, what other countries might be getting. Um, like we know from like, again, Eastern Bloc countries, how they will get stipends and full on salaries and will never have to work in their life. Their family will be supported. Um, and it doesn't happen. There's no training camps. There's no, you know, sending the athletes, um, you know, overseas and keeping them there for six months in a year or, you know, going to sports school. So honestly, it can only be, in my opinion, um, genetically, they they are lucky. They got, oh, Canada is lucky. They got really good athletes. Um, yeah. Like, for example, one of my close friends, Maud Sharon, she's actually an Olympic gold medalist, and she just won um, gold now at the Pan American Championships too. And Maud is one of those people. She is an amazing athlete. Um, her coach is American, so she travels back and forth doing training camps um, with him. I know she was also, uh, you know, wanting to become a policewoman. So that was something she was even doing in between training and prepping for things like Olympics and all of those. So living normal lives like, you know, all of us are living, you know, having to support yourself financially, having to work, having to go to school 
and study something that will give you a future um, and not just in sport. So, yeah, I, like I said, I think Canada just has amazing athletes and I hope that these athletes um, get, the get the support that they need. And I do mm. hope that they actually do end up staying in the sport because those are the athletes that we need for the future of weightlifting. Um, yeah. hoping, hoping that they <laughs> sort things out and, and weightlifting stays in the Olympics for 2028. Yeah. Before we go into some of the, those weightlifting scandals as well, we've got a couple of comments on YouTube. We've got Thomas saying Thor is training for all-time powerlifting record and he's documenting it on YouTube. So maybe there's something for you, Colm, to, to follow along. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. And then V replied to you, uh, Mona, saying that she's guilty. She's a Canadian athlete with an international coach. I wonder who that international coach is. Maybe that's a secret for now. We'll reveal that in another episode. <laughs> another episode. But I know there's some there's some murmurings going around in the, in the weightlifting world, Mona. I mean, there always is because there's always, I mean, this is our podcast. I can say what I want, right? There's always dumb fucks within these sports and stupid ass idiots running these organizations. And it's not just in weightlifting. It's in so many sports. I know, Colm, you've been in, deep into the strongman world as well and corruption's everywhere. So uh, Mona, do you want to maybe dive into a little bit of what's going on uh, at the moment there. Yes. I mean, like if you follow um, along and not just, you know, what the athletes are lifting, but also kind of the news behind, you know, the scenes and weightlifting, um, like a lot of, you know, two really big events are running at the moment. So like I mentioned, the youth weightlifting world championships, and then also the Pan American championships where there's a whole bunch of amazing athletes. Um, like I said, from Canada, from America, and then a whole bunch of other countries. Unfortunately, uh, Colombia is not there. So the Pan Ams uh, this year is in Argentina. And Colombia, who's got one of, who was actually rated the strongest team that was going to compete at the Pan American Championships, had 20 athletes entered. And out of those 20, there's two world champions and there's also an Olympic medalist. And this Pan Ams was also one of the qualification events for Olympics, um, for the 2024 Olympics that's coming up. And due to, um, you know, basically Argentina saying that, you know, the athletes that are coming over has to pay in cash when they get there, um, this has caused a huge uproar and this has caused the uh, Colombian team to withdraw from the Pan American Championships. And again, the athletes are affected at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. the reason why this is something that actually, it, it made me mad reading it because it's something that I have gone through myself as well, competing internationally um, at all my Olympic qualification events, at so many international events before that. Um, you know, you will go and compete, but a lot of the times, you know, there's problems with athletes arriving with huge amounts of cash. So these countries want you to pay everything in cash. Where, for example, if it's mm -hmm. a team of 20, um, they have to pay entry fee for each athlete. They have to pay um, accommodation for each athlete, which the accommodation gets ramped up at these events. Um, and then they have to pay um, a doping control fee as well. So the countries end up, yeah, like I said, having to pay tens and tens and thousands of dollars. And for a country that has to carry that amount of cash to another country um, can be really dangerous. I mean, even from for myself that used to travel from South Africa to an overseas country, I would never even walk around with cash. Um, 
So you would want to come to these countries and pay with a, uh, a credit card or a debit card or do a bank transfer or something like that. But they actually do not want to accept it at all. So a lot of countries can't afford to travel with cash, like I said, and it now it's costed one of the strongest teams in the world that, yeah, they had to withdraw. And um, like I, I wonder said, why yeah. you have to only pay cash. Yeah, yeah so, so it, it, are, they just, are they literally just pocketing it? Well, well, we can. I won't, we can I won't say it. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely. I mean, even if you go and read um, inside the games, um, they're very open about that kind of stuff in there. Um, they mention some stuff also about tax and just things where a lot of countries have had problems with this kind kind of way of how they deal with competitions. Where normally, if you enter, there could be a link. I don't know if it's the same with powerlifting or strongman form. Um, you'll normally get a link and you can just do like a transfer, um, super easy, pay your amounts. I've, that never, you... I've never had someone ask for cash. For <laughs> yeah, ex never. exactly. It, Unless it's for something so, dodgy, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it, it really, it blows my mind that in this, you know, this century that people are still dealing with, cash like that you can do everything That's online so now why not get people to do those kind of things or help you um, or spend money you know making it accessible to you know countries worldwide because even reading in that article um with the inside the games where they made this news public um you know really strong countries like for example canada and usa has had problems with athletes going over and having to pay cash because like i said if you have a team of 20 or 30 athletes having to travel with that amount of cash it's honestly it, it's insane um so that is one thing that i'm hoping in the future um weightlifting will change um like i said now you can see some of the strongest countries you know having to pull out of competition because they can't afford um to pay that money cash so that's currently going on in the weightlifting world. And obviously on top of that, like I said earlier, this will affect the Colombian team's qualification for the 2028 Olympics. Um, and this takes away one of the major competitions that they had to do in order to qualify or for the 2024. And then obviously for the athletes or, you know, just weightlifting in general, trying to be in the 2028 Olympics, um, mm. they have to clean up their act. So hopefully... They are going to do it, and hopefully our sport will stay in the Olympics. Um, but I guess only time will tell right now. Yeah, we'll have to go into a little bit of that in another episode, Mona, with the whole this whole Olympic debacle with the weightlifting. But you know what's funny as well, Colm? It's, it's not just the the country's currency you got to bring. You have to bring U.S. dollars in cash too. Yes. It has, oh, really? has to be U.S. dollars. And then they opened it. Remember, Mona, when we were waiting at the table, at, um, it was in Qatar, right? And they opened their little kitty. And it's just filled with like American dollars cash that they've been paid, you know, mm. and it's like in this little kitty box and it's like, okay. And then they inflate the hotel price. So it's not a normal hotel rate. You pay yeah. like a hundred dollars more per night for the yes. room. That's why I say they really push it up. Like it's they, yeah, crazy. It's, and it's you are not allowed. Level. Yeah. And you're not, not allowed to um, stay at another hotel. So if you, yeah. you have to stay in that specific hotel mm. for X amount of days that they tell you to stay in because they also, if they decide the day after your competition or the day prior, they want to dope test you. 
you need to be in that hotel. So that's yeah. one of the reasons, or that's what they say is one of the reasons. Um, <laughs> but obviously it's one of those things where it just, it makes a person wonder, um, it, yeah, in, why are um, they still doing this? When they do that in Strongman, like you have to say at a certain hotel, that's because you're getting a good deal, <laughs> like it's a sponsorship <laughs> deal, not because they're trying to charge you an extra hundred dollars a night or whatever. Exactly. Um, but what I was going to ask, what's the hierarchy? So like what, so is this the Argentinian weightlifting organization? Like, is that their name? No, it's all, it's all the IWF. But then yeah, it falls under the everything. International Weightlifting Federation, but because Argentina is the host country, they will so be dealing the host, with those kind of things. So they're like the their country's version. Like they're, they're representing the IWF for their country. Like what's above them? Is there a whole IWF like commission or something? Yes. So the International Weightlifting Federation, like you said, the IWF, they are the above ones. They are the, the yeah. top. The, yeah, it can't go higher than that. And um, then yeah, you've get, got your national federations under that. And then you've got your, um, uh, I'd say, your local, uh, I won't say local federations, but more so clubs. That will fall yep. under your national federation then. But but you're paying the IWF, right? When you go into these competitions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so it is going to the top. Yeah. It it is going to the top, yes. Um yeah. so there is obviously there must be some sort of a deal as well, because obviously um yeah. the the host country has to organize everything. Um, even though the IWF are the ones that will um, you know, approve the event, but Argentina has to come up with a venue um, and yeah. a hotel and all of those things. So I'm sure there's mm. some sort of a deal going on between them. And then the IWF works with the like Olympic Committee. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So above yeah. So above the IWF in in all sports, it would be the IOC, like you said now. But yeah. in weightlifting, the IWF is the the top. You can't get higher than that. But the IOC, obviously, at the moment, they are overseeing a lot of what's going on in weightlifting. They're keeping a very close eye on weightlifting and the IWF um, because they want to see the IWF cleaning up their act. They want to yeah. see the IWF making the changes that they've recommended to them. Um, and they've come out publicly saying if they do not make these changes, um, then obviously our sport will not be in the Olympics anymore, which will be such a shame if yeah. this had to happen because for a lot of countries, for a lot of athletes, um, this is what they know. The, this is, you know, the, this is the way they make money. This is their, their job in a sense. Um, and like I said, for athletes that, you know, they get basically a stipend and um, their families are supported through that money. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of athletes where this is their be all and end all, but then also for other countries like South Africa and New Zealand and Australia and those kind of countries, um, having the sport in the Olympics means a lot for us because it also opens up a lot of doors, even though we are not at a stage yet where we can become full on paid professional athletes, but it's definitely getting better step by step. Some federations obviously is a lot slower than others or countries are a lot slower than others but it does 
it, it has become a lot more popular over the years and you would want it to continue in that trend growing. Um, so I'm really hoping that they don't cut it out. Yeah, we're going to have to do a whole episode on, on this at some point as well because Mona's obviously been involved heavily in yeah. the upper management area with the athlete IWF Athletes Commission and then everything else you've been a part of, Mona, as well. But did you have anything else to ask there, Colm? I think I might have cut you off. Oh, there's heaps of stuff I, I could have <laughs> maybe save it. Yeah, that all good. Um, before we jump into some more some strongman news, Colm, I want to know, you mentioned how Jesus and him being, what, 177 kilos, so what, 390 or whatever odd pounds. You've been you've been at that weight, haven't you, or just above it? Yep. I, at my heaviest, I never, like at my very heaviest, I didn't want to see what was on the scale. Um, <laughs> but I would have been about 185. So the heaviest I've seen on the scale was 182, uh, so 400 pounds. And then I... Um, ended up gaining I well I definitely gained more weight more fat and then I I didn't I would have been about 185 yeah is, is that what you competed at the world's strongest man at that weight um I was about one I was just under 180 when I was there I think the first year I was about 175 and the second year about 177 um but I definitely uh, the hard part, like I got a lot better as a strong man actually after I was at Worlds um, mm. at a lighter body weight. So I wouldn't, I enjoyed eating that much, and, <laughs> but I definitely wouldn't say it was um, like optimal. But I also do think, like, let's say I wanted to do powerlifting and that was my absolute focus, I would have to get, I think I would have to get up to that sort of weight again. Um, because if you look at like a lot of those top powerlifters, you know, like Jesus, Ray Williams, all that, uh, they're maxing out how heavy they are for like their height. And me being a taller mm. guy, um, I'm about six foot five. I would just have to be a lot thicker um, to be able to like, what's Ray Williams? He's about 400 pounds, isn't he? Um, I'm not too sure. But yeah, they're, they're big boys. So it would be for powerlifting. You can, that's what you need to do really just Put as many kgs per inch of height on as you can um but obviously then it depends that we're talking about super heavyweight powerlifting here if you're in a weight class yeah then you're in a weight class. <laughs> yeah for sure i'm surprised you haven't gone into bodybuilding with being six foot five and being what well, you're like 140 kilos right now aren't you or 120 120 to 140 you could bloody be at the moment but you could just be a jacked as massive bodybuilder I would be, I reckon, I'm still pretty fat. <laughs> if I drop down, I'll be, I'd be so skinny, especially on stage. <laughs> well, I think what, what I want to know and probably what the listeners might want to know is what, what is a typical day of eating being 180 kilos or 405 pounds? Oh, so when I was that big, I would eat, um, still relatively clean, to be honest. I am, I guess, blessed or cursed, depending on what way you want to look at it, <laughs> being able to eat a lot. Like I can eat a lot. And um, my whole family is like that, to be honest. Like I'm, I've got cousins that are much bigger than I am, um, both in height and weight. And oh. yeah, we, we can just eat. Um, but normally, so when I was in Brisbane, I used to eat a lot of rice, a lot of kangaroo, because uh, it was cheap <laughs> and it's red meat. I quite, quite yeah. enjoyed it. Um, and uh, steak wise, I didn't really have too much steak, to be honest. Uh, but I would say the majority rice, um, 
basically I would have rice, some kind of meat and a little bit of veggies. And then once a, once a week though, I would have, um, I would have like, and this is some Brisbane, Australia, they would have, uh, like, I think it was called, it was like a cheap Tuesdays thing, right? At the <laughs> takeaway places. Yeah. So I'd get like one of those Eagle boys. It was like two pizzas for $9, something like this. <laughs> It's something um, James would definitely go for. Yeah, I've eaten whole family meals before from like Wendy's yeah. and McDonald's stuff. Yeah, I've done it. I used and to then, do it every now and then. And I bet you felt horrible afterwards, eh? Oh, yes. You did. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what led me. I would do this every Tuesday. And then like Tuesday night, I would have the worst sleep. I would feel absolutely horrible. <laughs> and then I'd go and do it again. And like, uh, they so had nine dollars, <laughs> nine dollars for nine pieces of KFC, and I would like eat that and eat other stuff as well. And then eventually, one day, I had that thought: I better not do this next Tuesday. And I, I, I managed to break the cycle. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, oh, basically, I I would eat. I also tended not to eat. Um, you know, like they recommend eat six times a day or whatever. Yeah. I actually tended to eat just three times a day. Um, I would have a pre-workout shake, like a during, mm. like a pre-work, like I would drink it pre and during. So it was yeah. just carbs. Um, sometimes I would put a scoop of protein in there if it was one I could digest well. Um, but I would pretty much eat three meals a day, but my dinners were always just gigantic. Um <laughs> That so was, did you so have to I have like a really... special a special plate for yeah, your Yeah, I would just have one, one of those big, it's like a big salad bowl basically. Yeah. And <laughs> just load that up. Um, also, like I, it wasn't healthy at all, but I would have a lot of bread. Like a lot of bread and butter was easy. I could have like, um, I could just put that on anything really. Um, like four pieces of toast with some butter on it, add it to every meal. It was super easy. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't the healthiest, but it was cheap. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that was more of a priority for me back then um, over health. And yeah, it wasn't wasn't ideal. And I did get better when I dropped weight. Um, but yeah, it's nice to think. Like there were some perks about being that big for sure. Like in the gym, anything static-wise just went through the roof for me, other than squats because mm. I had some knee issues. But every single week it was just, I would get, I would be able to lift more just because I was gaining body weight, especially yeah. pressing wise. Um, cardio wise, I was absolutely horrible. So, <laughs> um, like at World Strongest Man, the 2017 one, our first event was a loading race. So you carried 210 kg sacks down like 15 meters, run back and drag a heavy sled. Um, and I knew just being that big, there was no, there was no way. I was up against Tom Stoltman and uh, another guy called. Taz, uh, called Belsack, and they were both super fast on their feet. I knew I had no chance, um, so I just coasted so slow on the two sacks. Like, it wasn't a heavyweight, but just me running 15 meters, I gassed myself. <laughs> and then I got to the um, the heavy sled, and because I was so heavy, I ended up beating them in that event. Oh, wow. um, because I, I, I had the body weight, and I had saved my energy for that last part of the event. So that, that was like a benefit of being heavy and that kind of event where you're using your body weight as a lever, um, mm. I definitely benefited from it. Yeah, we're going to do a whole episode on bulking. Uh, yeah, just, I, I was just actually going to... 
I was going to ask Cole now, did you have, um, did you kind of just track how your body weight was tracking up or did you actually eat a set amount of calories um, each day? Uh, so when I like was at my biggest, I was actually seeing someone uh, for a diet at the time and it was, I started maybe on 7,000 calories and he, I ended up on seven and a half and I ended up stopping because um, like it, I felt like I was just getting fatter and fatter, which I was, and he felt like I was gaining more lean mass or he would say that I was gaining more lean mass. Um, <laughs> but so I, at that time I was tracking and the meals were just, it was the same thing, like lots of rice. I could eat so much rice. And then I was having a lot of chicken thigh at that time and a lot of veggies. And it like when, when I was eating that much, it was pretty hard just because of what it was. So chicken, um, rice and veggies, like these meals are huge. And I was eating like four times a day then. Um, and yeah, it, it just costed so much money and took up a lot of time and I was constantly full. Um, but at, yeah, at that time we were tracking and that was before Australia's strongest man. So I did like training wise, it was great. And there wasn't too much in terms of, um, events that needed much like movement in terms of conditioning. So it's kind of, it worked well for me. Um, but yeah, about seven, seven and a half thousand calories is what I had, uh, at the Damn. end. And like my face honestly just ballooned. <laughs> it was like that typical moon face. Um, I gained so much weight. I would have gone like that's when I would have probably been like 175 when I started with him. And then that's when I ended when I didn't want to step on the scale. Because um, I, I just put on weight so fast. Like already being that big, I reckon it was like maybe six or seven weeks. I must have gained like another 10 kgs. Oh. And, um, yeah but Damn. because of that like i gained it so fast all my i was lifting so much more but it just wasn't wasn't sustainable and i i didn't really like it and i was just getting fatter at that point <laughs> yeah fair enough now we're gonna have to do a bulking episode coming up um for sure but things we've all done to gain weight because i know yeah. i've done I a fair few things i need advice because okay. james is always trying to get me to try and gain weight and um yeah, yeah. we'll do an intervention <laughs> episode for mona yeah coleman james <laughs> eating intervention for mona how to gain weight i've done all sorts of things too i mean i was a skinny skinny hard gainer back in the day and and i ended up bulking my way up a, a fair amount but we had uh, another comment from thomas talking about i don't know if Coleman, if you know of a nutritionist named nathan payton apparently he's a nutritionist for a lot of pro strong men i don't know yeah. if you know i've you never met him Okay, but I do know of him. Yeah, he works with quite a lot of the top pros. Um, is there a specific question about him? Or? Nope, just a little comment. Just I just thought I'd just throw yeah, it out there for some audience engagement. I it is interesting because he he used to be Brian Shaw's uh, nutritionist when he kind of first won his World Strongest mm. Man's, like his first run, and then Brian left. Um, he went to standing, did he? Yeah, he did. So yeah. he, that's where I always kind of felt like. Just as a fan, I felt like he was doing so well with um, with Nathan Payton, and then he kind of left. And Thor, I think at the time was working with Stan Efferding, 
And then everyone kind of went over to Stan Efferty. Yeah, everyone, yeah I remember that face. He's he's gone, or well, he's still going, but everyone's kind of left and come. Yeah. Now everyone's with Nathan Payton. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. And I do think it's one of those things like, I think as an athlete, you're always trying to find that little edge, even if it's a small amount. And like, sometimes it can be hard to accept that like there is a limit to how fast you can progress and there's a limit to, um, yeah, essentially how, how much gains you can make per like hour, right? You can't just go, um, it's not exponential. It's not just going to go up forever. Yeah. So if you even like I'm putting words in the head, but let's say Brian, he had already, he didn't win worlds that year that he saw Thor win. He must've thought like, Oh, you know, this vertical diet seems like it might be, you know, maybe this is going to give me that little edge and he's mm. gone there, even though he seemed to be going fairly well. Um, although I do know he was talking about some digestive issues back when he was with Nathan as well, because he did that year, 2017, he was also, everyone was at their biggest, basically. Um, mm. So although I'm a competitor, I'm a big, big fan of Strongman and it was cool. Like it was, it was pretty eye-opening as well to see just how big these dudes were there. Like that, that's the year that Eddie Hall won. And like, man, he just, he was way bigger so than you. Big. Six, you were six, five, 180 kilos or four or five pounds ish. And they were bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Thor, like he would have been over 200 oh, yeah. kgs and he's like six, nine. And then sure. <laughs> I don't know. He, sure. He, I swear he would have been over 200 kgs. Like he had that moon face kind of thing going on as well. Um, so he was doing time. the cheap Tuesdays as well. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, he, 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 he had YouTube videos at the time eating like two cheesecakes or something like that. But, <laughs> I remember that, um, yeah. But the, that year of World's Strongest Man was very static. So it kind of, like it had both a squat and a deadlift in the finals. Um, so it kind of pushed everyone to go in that direction. Because when you're talking static strength, like if you're heavier, that's just going to make it easier. Yeah, for sure. Is there any uh, strongman news to finish off this uh, show, Colm, for the coming weeks? So are we saving that for the for the next episodes? Uh, so I wanted to, well, because someone mentioned it, Thor's, uh, I was yeah. going to talk about Thor. Let's do it. So he's, it's interesting, right? So me and Thor, I think we're the same age. He might be like a little bit younger, uh, sorry, a little bit older. But he, I find it very interesting. So he's already been the world's strongest man. He's won every show there is. I probably at his very prime would consider him probably the strongest man who ever lived. Like if you put him against anyone else in the world and he retired for health reasons, because mm -hmm. being that big and putting that much strain on the body is not the healthiest. And he went to do boxing where they were allegedly yeah. going to make a million dollars or whatever. Um, don't know if they did or not, but he's done that. And now he's, he's still got that bug. Like he's, I don't know if have you guys seen what he said he wants to do? No, he came in, he threw um here in Austin at that uh Rogue Invitational. At the Arnold? What was that? End of, oh yeah. Uh, oh, yes. No, the Rogue Invitational end of last year. And then he said he might be coming out of retirement, but I can't remember if he mentioned what he was gonna do. Yep. So he's announced that he's going to, he wants to break the all time powerlifting record this year, and then he's gonna return to strongman next year. And I like so the lifts that he has to beat, I think he basically has to squat 500, bench 270, or these are dumbbells lifts, and then 
deadlift 900 pounds. Um, so basically he's saying he's just going, uh, full bore again. Like yeah. he's not like, he's not just coming back, but he's coming back to be the strongest person in history. He wants to, like, he's not content being, having one world strongest man, the Arnold. He now wants to set like the all time powerlifting record, which like no strong man has done that. Um, like in years and years and years. So if you like, you take that out alone, right? There's not really any other strongman at the moment. Like he's crossing sports. So to, to compare, it's not the best comparison, but let's say MMA, right? Conor McGregor, MMA fighter. Let's say that's like strongman, lots of different disciplines. And then Conor McGregor went over to boxing and it's just the one discipline. So that's kind of like Thor. He's got access to all these events and now he's going over the powerlifting, which is just the three static lifts. So it is, it's a different sport. Um, and I find that interesting in terms of both his goals, like they're huge, but also as someone the same sort of age as him, um, like just the risks of health, <laughs> the fact that he's coming back, I find it pretty, pretty intriguing. As a fan, I like it because I want to see what he can do. But I do think, so I absolutely think he could get these lifts, but I feel like he has to, the one caveat he's said is he wants to do all this at about 400 pounds body weight, which is quite a bit lighter than when he was at his biggest, around 200 mm. kgs. Personally, I think if he was to bulk up, you got to remember this guy is 6'9". If he was about like uh, 220, I have no doubt he would like break the all-time powerlifting record. Like That's a big a big man, 220 kgs. Yeah. Um, but you got to remember, he's been about 210 before, I think at his very biggest, um, maybe 205. So I don't think it's unrealistic he could get that big. But to lift these numbers he's talking about at a body weight of 180 or 185, I think is going to be, and to do it this year, I really think it's going to be a bit um, bit of a stretch. But yeah, as a fan, I'm uh, I'm quite interested to see, see how he goes. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, the strain on the body, obviously the bigger you are, the more strain on your heart, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure to break a lot of these records too, there's obviously pharmacology likely involved. Um, yep, that's which not, also, none of yeah. this is tested. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I guess that's another another thing. But I think Mona probably resonates with what he's doing because obviously leaving the sport and then wanting to come back and doing a sport, you have that thing of wanting to be the best. I know Mona's always talking about she doesn't want to just participate in something. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, wants to, she wants to go win medals, eh, eh, Mona? And I think it's hard sometimes like mentally to 100% retire and be like, I'm done now. Because I also yeah. know having that goal um, is what drives me. And I'm still, even though I haven't now competed internationally since, well, I competed internationally, was at the beginning of last year when I did the international comp in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, I always said that I do want to make a comeback, but talking about health, um, and just, you know, dropping body weight. I know even in the sport of weightlifting, um, you know, as soon as a person drops weight, it, it's a lot harder to be as strong as what you used to be. Um, like I always used to compete under 64, um, last year I ended up competing under 59s. And even though I could definitely feel I was getting back to, um, my kind of my strength again i think i was at about like 85 percent maybe close to 90 percent um obviously before um you know 
getting pregnant and the baby, etc. Um, but yeah, it it's so hard being a lighter body weight, you know, having that strength. But then, like you said, Calm, if you have if you compete in such um, how can I say if you have to be so heavy and you know having to put so much risk on um, yeah just eating so much and getting that to that point where it actually becomes unhealthy it definitely um, could affect things and also your age plays a big role as well and as soon as you I, I mean I don't know how old Thor is now I'm assuming probably in his 30s yeah he's I'm, 34 I believe 34 okay yeah, and I've definitely felt, you know, getting into the 30s, everything is a lot You don't slower. want to give away your um, age, Mona? Um, <laughs> well, me and Thor seems to be the same age. So if he's doing a comeback, I <laughs> must do a comeback too then, I guess, right? Uh -huh. He will be... Same yeah, here. He... I'm 34 as well. I'm coming back. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Then we all need to do a comeback. Um, document our journeys. Well, this I is recorded it's... now, so it's the goal is in <laughs> <Yeah>. place. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So well, now... What I was going to ask, in weight, like so in strongman, right, and in powerlifting, a lot of, since when I've started, everyone's kind of said guys peak, like maximal strength wise, kind of mid 30s, 240. So a little bit, a little bit older. And I think this applies both with um, both tested powerlifting and non powerlifting or strongman, because you, you just have more time to mature, learn your technique and whatnot. Obviously, this depends on injury, but I'm curious what it's like in weightlifting because weightlifting has such a big like power component, whereas powerlifting, you could be slow as hell. If you're just producing a lot of force, you're going to get the weight up. Like, what would you say is the averages for weightlifting? Well, honestly, Com, it depends on when an athlete starts. Um, so, oh, for yeah. example, I started weightlifting when I was uh, 12 years old. So I would be in the sport now for yeah over 20 years. And it's definitely i could find being in the sport that long um i mean maybe i reached my peak i don't know but i would say <laughs> i i tend to see with a lot of female athletes um in their later 20s um yep. and then when they get to their 30s especially the ones who started very similar to when i started um as soon as they get to around 30 and over um that's where you know, a lot of them might drop a little bit of strength, but you'll also see a lot of them have to really change their way of training. Where we used to train twice a day, we could only train once a day. So you have yeah. to train just so much more um, clever and you have to make sure that you look after your health um, and stay on top of if a niggle comes up and those kind of things where when you were younger, if a niggle comes up, you would you know, sometimes you'll just train past it and it will just go away by itself. Yeah. But when you get to that late 20s, early 30s, um, you tend to find that those niggles then turn into bigger injuries at the end of the day. So what I've seen, um, I can definitely say, um, I mean, I don't know what research would say, but what I've seen with athletes is definitely closer to, um, you know, yeah, the later 20s when they tend to peak. Although yeah. there's so many youngsters now at the moment um, lifting massive weights. I know there's a Bulgarian athlete. I think he might be 18 years old. Um, he made also history like not too long ago. He lifted an insane amount of weight at the Worlds. He won gold. Um, and everyone was really surprised. I mean, being like an 18 or 19 year old, um, you know, beating adults and kind <laughs> of just breaking the mold of, you know, 
athletes yeah. being their base later on in life. So, yeah, it kind of it really depends. I think it depends just when you start um, your tra- yeah, your training age, basically, and then just how well you look after your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For, for context as well, Mona in a previous peak because she's going to have new peaks. 94 snatch, 120 clean and jerk at 63 kg body weight. Nothing to scoff at there. And or maybe we're gonna maybe we're gonna add the natty tag to it as well, don't we? Or if you add the natty <laughs> tag, does that make it like seem like it's not natty because you had to call it natty? Either yeah, way, it, it seems like that. People normally say if I if you have to say you're natty, then normally you're not natty. Uh, but I guess if it comes from another person, then you can claim it. You know. Um, but yeah, in with with us, um, you know, even during my Olympic prep and before that, you know, being tested randomized being on a, um, a program where they would come if you are in university and you're studying they would come to your university and wait until your lectures finish but watch you like a hawk making sure that you know you don't leave their sites doing dope testing um uh, yeah and then basically rocking up at your house at 5 a.m in the morning um uh you know doing blood tests urine tests making sure that you are clean um you know unfortunately like some of the athletes who have tested positive in the past, like their results come out really late. So sometimes these athletes tend to um, still participate in the international events, um, you know, winning gold medals, breaking world records, and then later on getting um, their positive result back of like a month prior to the competition. And it takes a lot of praise away from the athlete who could have been on that podium. I mean, if you are an athlete and on the day you come forth and it comes out, three years later that now you've moved up to second place i mean it takes away from sponsorships it takes away from um so many missed opportunities which you would have had so i definitely feel like you know if if results came out quicker then it would be a lot better as well for athletes i know mm. i kind of went down a rabbit hole there but yeah they do test the athletes um and the ones who are taking stuff hopefully they do all get caught but yeah it just sometimes takes takes a bit longer yeah so I, I think we'll wrap this one up here we've been a little over an hour now we've probably fleshed out a bunch of other topics for future podcasts too so for anyone listening now uh this will be taken down after the stream but will be re-uploaded tomorrow once i go through and edit everything and add everything to it and then we'll also be on all your favorite podcast platforms we're going to do this weekly right now uh we'll probably usually do it at at this time on this day every week or it might be the following day at the same time we're just uh working around there as we get this thing started but if you liked it please make sure when we post it you share it you like it you comment everything all that good stuff that's going to help us with the algorithms on youtube facebook wherever it is that all helps but um no that that's our first episode all wrapped up and uh, i guess we'll see everyone next week